We're so happy that you're here with us today. Now it's time to get started, so please stand and get ready to worship with us. And thank you for joining us here at New Vine. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Vine Community Church. We are very happy to have each and every one of you here with us today, and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. All right, at this point, I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started with the worship. Lord, we want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week, and everything we know you'll continue to do. We just ask you to come be with us today as we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Take a second, turn around, say hello to somebody. glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Help us feed a needy family for Thanksgiving. As a church, we want to feed 100 families this year, and we can do it for $30 per family. If you want to help, give the money to Chuck, or you can give online. Just choose turkey as the giving type. Thanks for helping us feed families for Thanksgiving. be wrapping gifts for Anthony Wayne School on Monday, November 27th at 4 p.m. Come help us serve our schools. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning. You guys should be plenty awake, right? This one's going to be good for me, but the next one's going to be bad because my son was going to go crazy at, at a time and it's going to be later than normal. So growing up as a Baptist preacher's kid, my dad would preach an hour and hymn books are wonderful for putting over your stomach to, to drown out the, the growling part there. So, um, Pat, who does our everything here is in the hospital and he's going to have a heart valve replacement tomorrow. And so, um, he went to the doctor, and, and I think there was just a little blurp or something on the EKG. He went through a bunch of tests, and then the doctors discovered that. So we're going to say a prayer for him. So do, grab somebody's hand beside you, if you don't mind. We just want to lift the pad up in prayer, and uh, they do the surgery tomorrow. And so it was. So anyway, so let's just pray. Lord, thank you for Pat. Thank you, God, for all the things that he does. That people here don't even have a clue how he fixes everything, the lights and the sound and the projectors and any computers and I could go on all day, but God, I just thank you for him and his heart and how he serves us and Holy Spirit. We ask you just to bless him as he goes through this surgery. Thank you, God, that you've given people gifts 
the surgeons. And so we pray that you just heal him uh, through this whole thing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. P.S. Bless the offering. Let's take up the offering. So, Can you do P.S. on a prayer? Yeah, okay. All right, good morning. How are we doing? You guys are good? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And it's a typo on the thing, Aaron, so I realized it this morning when I was looking over it. So it should be, it's not, it's not Matthew 5, that's a, it's a typo on my part. So you guys doing all right? Yeah? Good. So um, I always like to start off with just a little bit of silence and just taking a moment to center our hearts and, and open ourselves up to God because, I don't know, if you're like me, you come in here with all kinds of stuff, a lot of distractions. And so let's take a few moments simply just to to just relax and, and uh, just open up our hearts to God. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come, that you just speak to us here in these next few moments. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come and gather and uh, be reminded that you are with us and that you're guiding us. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just be with us. You speak to our hearts. Please open up your word. 
And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. I uh, went to put my phone down right before we started our our little quiet prayer time, and Amber texted me, right? Did you take the wallet? So, right? Distractions. Always distractions one way or another. We've been in a series called What If Jesus Was Serious? And mainly we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, kind of verse by verse, using um, this book and, and um, the illustrations from this book as references. And so we're just going to continue. Good? You guys all right? All right, let's get going. Matthew 6, verse 13, it says this. <clears throat> it says, what if Jesus was serious? You can go. Is it froze? Yeah, I got some jokes. You guys want to hear some jokes? <laughs> Been working on this whole stand-up comedy routine. I'm going to do some one day. Is it froze? I can go for my phone. No, the, the, that math, that the verses are right. It's just the things wrong. Pat's probably watching this on his, from his hospital bed, <laughs> thinking, yeah, they need me, <laughs> right? All right, here we go. So that's not, Matt, it, this is, the verses are right, the top's wrong. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus begins this section by warning us, if you will, that when we find ourselves storing up treasures here, that a lot of times they won't last. Yeah? I saw this meme the other day. You guys like memes? I love memes. They're so funny. It was a picture of a grown man laying in the floor of his living room crying Wearing a, fo- a particular football jersey and watching a particular football team. And the meme said this, men will choose a team when they're eight years old and then allow them to dictate their happiness for the rest of their lives. <laughs> right? Where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And it might not be a football team. Maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe for you, it's place that you live or the house that you have. Maybe for you it's the car that you drive or the shoes that you wear. Maybe for you it's relationships or having children. Where your heart will be or where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And so in this book, there's this illustration, this picture, and it's like a wheel. You can go to the next one, Aaron. So it's like the wheel of fortune. Spin the wheel of ultimate concern. And... On this picture, you have the, the world, church, apparently the Cubs. I don't get that one. A trophy, baby, American flag, Jesus, money, guns. On the left is a quote from uh, the late Tim Keller. And it says, an idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. And then on the right there in the red, it says, define identity, find purpose, place your hope. And a lot of this, this is how we live. We spin the wheel. We spin the wheel and we try to find our purpose, our identity, our hope in whatever it is that we choose. Yeah? I coach high school football and, and, uh, I am. Do you need something? It's at the house. I texted you. Love you, bye. Have a good day, guys. Just staring at me. You know how you can feel people staring at you? Just feel it. What was I talking about? Football. I coached high school football. It was at the end of the season uh, a couple weeks ago. And at Franklin High School, we have 
this tradition where the seniors get to the end of the field and they walk the field for the last time and then their, you know, their careers are, are over. And I remember when I played, which was a long time ago now, and um, making that same walk that those seniors make and getting towards the end where I'm going to walk off this field as a player for the very last time. And this reality of I have no idea who I am apart from being a football player. And oftentimes you'll hear people tell these types of stories. They've, they've raised their family and their kids grow up and they move out. And they have no idea who they are apart from raising their children. Or they've worked this job for 30, 40 years and they retire. And they walk out of that office or that factory or that business for the last time. And they have no idea who they are apart from that. Or for, maybe for you, you were in the military and you served your country and that uniform was part of who you were and your identity. And you take it off, you take those boots off for the last time and you have no idea who you are apart from that career. Does this make sense? Yeah. And so oftentimes the trap that we can fall into is we put our eggs in one basket and then when that basket is gone, we don't know who we are. And there's nothing wrong with taking pride and, and working hard and representing whatever it is that you do. Uh, but at the same time, it can become a trap when we allow for our treasures here on earth to define what we do. And so Jesus gives us this, this wisdom that we cannot allow the things that we do or the things that we accumulate here on earth to define our identity and our purpose. Because when we do, it's always, we're always going to lose that, that reality. And so first point here is this. If Jesus was serious then what we treasure most will define our lives. Me and Amber were having this conversation yesterday. We were going to lunch, and we were talking about our our careers and how they're tied to our identities and how if we're removed from our careers, oftentimes we lose ourselves. And she was talking about her father and some of the things that he kind of wrestles with because of building his, his identity on his career And I I had this thought as we were talking about this is that perhaps the best thing that we can do is we glean the principles that we learn from the things that we love to do. Amber's in the hair hair business, and part of that is serving and, and caring for people in their hair. But if that was taken away from her, she could still find purpose and identity, not from what she does, but from who she is as a person who tries to love and serve and care for the people around them. Does that make sense? And so I, I would I would add to this. It's trying to find the thing behind the thing in our lives. That's where the real purpose and identity is. And so whatever it is that you do, solving problems, serving people, being productive, What is the thing behind the thing that is the true essence of who you are and your identity in God? Because you can carry that wherever you go, wherever you go, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah? Yeah. And so he continues. He says, don't, don't, don't try to, to accumulate treasures here on earth, but try to accumulate treasures in heaven, meaning things that will last forever. And then he says that the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is kind of a a tricky saying here. And so what is Jesus, what is Jesus getting at? I find that this illustration that he draws here is very helpful in trying to understand what what Jesus is talking about. On the right, you have the modern view. And I don't know if you can see it, but it says, what you see determines your heart. And so our goal then is transformation of our circumstances. And so he's like this. You turn on the news. You guys watch the news? Hopefully not. But I know it's addictive. You turn on the news. 
And if you, it's mostly bad stories, right? There's the war going on with Palestine and Israel. There's all the crazy stuff that happens here in our own country. There's all the political problems. And, and if you're like me, you watch that stuff. You see those things. And it does something to you, doesn't it? Makes me depressed. I have to be honest. Makes me angry. The insanity that's going on outside of our lives. And, and so one way to approach life is to allow those outside things to work through our, our, our consciousness into our hearts. And it affects the way that we feel. It affects the way that we see the world. And oftentimes it's a negative thing, right? And so our, our conclusion is well, we gotta change this. We gotta stop this. We gotta control this. And so we go to work trying to control the things that we can tr- control, trying to control the things that we can't control, and trying to change things. And if you're like me, you realize that it doesn't feel like I'm making much of a difference. Because people are gonna be people. And they're going to do the things that they're going to do. And it sucks. Right? Anybody find themselves in this trap? Constantly trying to change things that you can't change. And then the depression just compounds. The anger just compounds. The frustration just compounds. And we feel stuck. The ancient way of thinking about this, you can go back real fast. The ancient way of thinking about this is what Jesus says is that our heart defines what we see. And and so the goal then is to have heart transformation. I can't stop the world from being what it is, and neither can you. What I can control is the way that I react and respond to what I see. And so I have to trust. It's going to sound real Christian here. I got to trust the gospel. I got to trust the good news. That somehow, some sort of mysterious way, God is going to take all of these little broken pieces, all of this death, and bring a resurrection. I gotta trust that somehow God is behind the scenes transforming this mess and it's leading somewhere back to a place of healing and wholeness. Does that make sense? And so when I trust that, what does it do? It transforms my heart. And when it transforms my heart, it changes the way that I see the world. You guys have seen dad's classic video of the guy with the glasses, right? And he puts on the glasses and it changes the way that he sees. Well, it raises the question, how do we put on those God glasses? We allow him to change our heart. And as we allow God to transform and change our heart, as we accept the good news, the gospel, this reality that God is somehow fixing this mess. Not only is he fixing my mess, but he's fixing the mess. That it changes something in here. And as it changes something in here, it changes the way that I see things. Yeah? Make sense? So I don't find myself getting all bent out of shape about political views and cultural fights and wars and all those types of things. Because those are all trying to transform circumstances. And the reality is, is you're not going to transform circumstances. One person's opinion is going to be the opposite of another's, and there's really nothing that you can do about it to change it. But what I can change is me. What I can change is the way that I see it. What I can change is understanding, okay, this person has their point of view, and this person has their point of view, and I can still love both of them at the same time. I don't have to agree with everything that someone does. I don't have to agree with all of their views, but I can still see them as a human being made in the image of God and still bring love and kindness and grace to them. Yeah? And so if Jesus was serious, then how we see the world will be determined by our hearts. And 
And so instead of allowing the world to dictate how my heart feels, I allow my heart to dictate the way that I see things. And so he continues the next verse. He then moves into our understanding and thinking about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, what's it say? Money. In some of the more ancient traditions, the word for money there is the word mammon. And the idea of mammon is that it is in some sense this competitive God in the ancient world. Almost like a spirit, if you will, that's trying to pull us off track. And that Jesus says that, that in, in, in all honesty, this is really the only thing that God has that really competes with God. This idea, this temptation to trust in the spirit of money that somehow that wealth and success is going to bring identity and purpose. Does this make sense to you guys? So it's not just you can't just serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and, and mammon, this, this idea of this temptation, the spirit of mammon calling us, tempting us off the tracks. And so he gives another picture here. Looks like the Monopoly guy, kind of, to me. And oftentimes, this is the king of our life, isn't it? I don't know about you guys, but I worry about finances all the time. Because when I have money in the bank, I feel a little bit safer. i got to be quite honest with you. And when I don't, I don't feel too safe. And so it's very tempting to trust in money. It's very tempting to trust in the energizing spirit of mammon. It's very easy to trust and believe that that is king. And so Jesus is here saying, hey, listen, you're in my seat. Now, there's nothing wrong with money, right? And there's nothing wrong with liking the Wolverines or the Bengals or doing your job. Like, there's nothing wrong with these types of things, these quote-unquote idols in our lives. It's honestly just where do I place them in priority. And so as long as I'm in my life, God is first then it's okay to like the Bengals and have money in the bank and drive a nice car and all those things. As long as it's in proper alignment, it's no problem. The problem for us is oftentimes we'll put those things in front of God, and then we bow down to them. And the problem with idols is they they can't satisfy the ultimate needs of our souls. And so he says, Jesus, or Jesus says to Mr. Monopoly here, he says, I think that you're in my seat. And so if Jesus was serious, then we cannot live with divided loyalties. We can't bow down to other gods. We can't trust in idols. Because ultimately they can't fulfill the things that we were created for. But then it continues. You can go to the next picture. He gives another illustration in this book that looks at how money checks most of the boxes in our lives. The idol of money can check most of the boxes. Because it does. It makes us feel safe and secure. It does offer us power over the world. It does give us a sense of value and dignity. There is a community that shares in the worship of money. And what's really scary is when when preachers somehow tie their theology into this this worship of money. I just just saw, did I tell you guys about this already? I I saw this, this pastor tell his congregation... Oh, it was this. He told his congregation a couple of weeks ago that the reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet is because the church hasn't given 
the people in the church haven't given enough money. That's what's holding him back. He'll never come back. <laughs> right? As long as that's the attitude, I, I ain't coming back for that. Right? And there's a whole, a whole strand of biblical, te- or not biblical teaching, but heretical teaching within the church that is about sowing and reaping. And if you give the church money, then God's going to bless you. And I, there's perhaps some truth to that. But at the same time, if that's complete your, your priority, then the pastor gets rich and the congregation gets poorer and that's not the kingdom of God whatsoever, right? And, and so we, we have to be careful to not allow this kind of stuff to slip into our thinking because it can get us off track in a hurry. And so the reality, you can go back real fast, I'm going to riff on it just a few more minutes. So the reality is, is that God, the living God, it, the God can make us, God fulfills our, our safety and our security. God offers us power over the world. God offers us a sense of value and dignity. God offers us a community that shares our worship. The main difference between money and God is that money can be here and then gone. Right? It can just, where the living God is never going to abandon or forsake us. And that's the thing that we have to trust. When it's all said and done, it's God is with us through the thick and the thin. Which leads to this. If Jesus was serious, then we will recognize the illusion of control that money creates. Because I don't care... I don't care how much money you have in the bank, cancers can show up. Yeah? I don't care how much money you have in the bank and how safe and secure you feel, sometimes things happen to just kick the chair right from underneath you. And so it's learning how to put our trust in Jesus. Which leads to the next thought. Yeah, you're good. You're fine. Yeah. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry then about your life, what you will eat, drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap, store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Just Think about that one for a split second. Does worry really help? Does worry really help? Then he continues, verse 28, he says, And why do you worry about the clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And then he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his, king, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, Jesus is bumping up to this reality that we all face every day. Do we live in an abundant universe? Or do we live in a universe of scarcity? And the way that we approach this question will dictate the way that we interact with people in the world. And so if I believe that there's not enough, and by the way, this is the direction that our culture is constantly reinforcing in our lives, ever seen commercials, right? You don't have enough. You need to get more. You need to buy this. And so if I believe the lie that I live in a, in a universe of scarcity and I don't believe that there is enough, then I'm, I'm on the right side of this 
chart here. Then the world is, a da- is dangerous and I must have control. If I believe that this is places, there's, is scarcity, then I'm always on edge, right? I'm always on edge around people or perhaps you run a business or something like that and you're always worried about your competitors. And what happens is that Jesus, the commands of Jesus become foolishness. I ain't going to trust that old ancient rabbi. He doesn't have a clue um, what life's about. And we end up being enslaved by the fear, by our own fear and our own self-interest. And so life becomes a cutthroat place where we make deals and stab one another in the back. We hoard we're suspicious of our neighbors. We're suspicious of the world that we live in because we believe, we've believed the lie that we live in a universe of scarcity. But as Christians, this isn't our belief, right? Our story begins by God saying, let there be light. And he creates this whole thing out of nothing, And so apparently we're in some sort of like, what? If that's the story, then maybe he's always doing that. Maybe God's always creating something out of nothing. Maybe God's always providing for us in a way that we have no answers for. And I don't know about you, but you ever had a problem you didn't have an answer for? And then God gives you an answer? Like I've... Literally, I've literally had this situation where I didn't have enough money to pay a particular bill and someone knocked on my door and says, hey, I felt like God wanted me to give you this. And they hand me a check for the exact, almost the exact amount of the bill that I have to pay. I don't have an answer for that, but I've, I've had it happen and I've seen it. I mean, hang out with Chuck Wolfenbarger for two weeks. And your mind will be blown. Right? And the Vicky say, yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know what the gift is that he has, but God is just here. 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 And my brother John, was it John? Yeah. John summed it up very well. The question, the question one of us asked when we were kids was, Dad, why is God always giving you free, or why are people always giving you free stuff? And dad said, why do you think? And John, I think, said something to the effect of, because you always give it away, right? When we live a life open-handed, then our needs are provided for, as long as we don't stop the flow. If I have to hold on to what I have because I believe in a world of scarcity, then I've cut myself off, if you will, from the creator providing. But if I live a life of open hands where I'm receiving and giving, then the flow continues. Yeah? And so we say, so instead of believing in scarcity, Jesus invites us to trust in God's abundance and that God will provide for us and that the commands of, God, of Jesus do make sense. And so I don't worry. I freely give. I don't love and, and worship money. And I find myself here down in the very bottom corner, living a life of freedom to love and to serve others. And so if Jesus was serious, then we'll always have enough. We'll always have enough. And now if you're like me and you're a natural skeptic or just love to play devil's advocate, <clears throat> you're like, well, what about the people in Africa who starved to death? Right? Anybody have that thought in your head? That's on us. Right? Another origin story of, of our faith is the story of a man named Abraham. Who says, I'm, and God calls Abraham to leave his household to go. And God gives Abraham this interesting, this interesting idea. He says, I'm going to bless you. But I'm not blessing you simply for you. You guys remember this story? I'm going to bless you so that you can be a what to other people? 
a blessing to others. And so if there are people around us who don't have enough, and we do, well, then how would God serve them? Don't you think he would serve them through his own body? Don't you think he would serve those who don't have through his own hands and feet? And who are his hands and feet here on this earth? Ta-da! Us. And so we have that on our radar all the time. Who are the people around me who don't have enough? In what ways has God, in some sense, positioned me to be an extension of his blessing to them? And so we also have to play with that, with that idea that I'm not just blessed for my own endeavors. I'm blessed to be a blessing to the world. Good? You guys all right? Which leads to another picture. Ultimately, this whole passage is about love or fear. And here's the thing about love and fear. Fear shuts the door. Fear says, yeah, you're not welcome here. Fear says, I'm going to just take care of myself. And so we tell people to keep out. No trespassing. Warnings, beware of the dog. Under surveillance. And you, you probably have that person in your neighborhood, right? We all have that one crazy, maybe you are that crazy person in your neighborhood, I don't know. But this is not simply just a, an individual. This is a trap that we can all fall into. I'm not letting anybody in. I can't trust these people. They may, I'm, I'm not going to forgive that person because they may hurt me again. So I shut the door of my heart, not allowing them in. But here's the thing. By shutting people out, by shutting that stuff out of our lives... Once again, it's like that open hand illustration. It's hard for God to come in. Because in my experience, the, the places in my life over the years where I've truly experienced the love of God is somehow through the door of loving people I didn't want to. Yeah, does that make sense? That somehow when I said yes to I'm going to love or forgive or serve this person that I don't want to, Somehow, some way, that opens the heart, the door of my heart, and God enters in a way that I didn't experience before. And so, we don't have to be trapped by fear. We don't have to be imprisoned by it. We learn to open the door of our hearts to allow the love of God to move in and out. And so, if Jesus was serious, then we can give ourselves away for the sake of others without fear. And when we learn how to do that, it changes the way that we relate to other people. It changes the relationship that we have with money. We find ourselves not chasing after the idols of this world, but finding our true identity and purpose in being children of God. Good? You guys done? I'm done. So, two questions. What's God saying to me? What's God saying to you? And what's one thing that you can do about it this week? And so we're going to take a few moments simply to reflect on that, and then we're going to share communion together. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and speak to our hearts in these next few moments.
All right, amen. If you have one of these, grab it, take it out. Every week we take part in this this ritual, this reminder that we are all welcome to the Lord's table. And every week we pray this prayer as a way to center our hearts and minds. And so pray this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that's been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world, and that we're reminded that as the body, we are called every day to do the same, to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so take the bread, look at the person next to you and say, the body of Christ broken for you. And now the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. Right? Amen. Let's all stand. Grab hands with the person next to you if you like. Continue to be praying for Pat as he has his surgery tomorrow. It is tomorrow, right? Yep. He is not at the atrium. He is at Kettering. Right? Is that Kettering? Kettering Hospital. So, yeah. Cool. Let's pray. So, Father, we just thank you for this, this Jesus who teaches us the way to relate to this world, who warns us of all the traps that we can fall into and shows us a better way. And so may we have the faith and courage to trust in that. May we have the faith and courage to, to live this out day by day in our own, our own little ways and all the places that we are. And so we ask that you just be with us this week. Holy Spirit, we ask that you guide and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. See you guys.